Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. I, of course, am your one of your hosts, Bob, and today I'm accompanied by Nick. Hey folks. And Chris. Hey everyone. And I think deliberately, the other two were, were dodgy. I don't know, what do you guys think? I think, I kind of felt that definitely Mike and uh, Brennan were like bobbing and weaving when this book came up. I don't know, so, Mike got a bad case of those nods, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, man, we're not talking book of nods. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, one, that's one of those things. I've seen a man who works himself so hard with so little sleep. It's, it's, it's why we love him, the heart and soul, right? Uh, but, to get more to the point, uh, this book here is uh, Dark Ages 20th Companion. It's not to be confused with the player's companion or a storyteller's guide. It's just companion. To that end, this book gives a series of domains that are not common in terms of startup. What I mean by that is, yes, there's an update to Rome and an update to Constantinople, but it's in a capacity and time you're not used to doing. It's not the, um, I believe one of you coined it, I was chuckling. It's not about the fun period of Rome, right? It's definitely not that. It is Rome, but it's the church is there. At this point, and what, what kind of evolves from there. And we'll get to that. Um, but you have some domains here that I'll just get out the way. One of one of the ones we were funning on, because we can't pronounce, is uh, the Bjarkery. Bjarkery? It's Scandinavian, I don't know. Um, uh, Nick pronounced it beef jerky. I, don't, I still don't think that's correct. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely close. It's, <laughs> we tried, uh, DJ, what was your attempt? Just so we have oh, man, I, I, I think mine was Jarkery. I think that's as close as we're going to get. Jarkery, and it's uh, it's definitely there's definitely there. It's a cool domain with some interesting things in. We're gonna get to, uh, but folks, I'm gonna tell you right now, we're gonna get into this, and we're gonna make it as uh, interesting as we can. But the problem with these books that talk about domain settings is that they're not about getting into the mix immediately. There's not a whole lot of boom. We're we're in it. This is to wet your st whistle as to an area you could start for your own Dark Ages campaign. So these are like jump starts to help you build from, not necessarily get in the mix with. Is there some interesting points? Hell yes, there's some interesting points. It's just, uh, don't expect it to be up front. Right? You're going to have to read a bit, research a bit to, in the book to get that uh, Easter egg love. Uh, so without further ado, we're going to start at is, of course, uh, the theme and mood for Rome. And what we have here is that Rome is, well, the church is strong, and the prince is one of the greatest sinners around. And the prince is Camilla. It's that simple. I mean, I don't, I don't know why I expected a drum roll. But we kind of all knew that Camilla had, his, had a hand at being the prince in Rome uh, to begin with. The part that's trippy is who's really kind of pulling the strings there. And um, that we'll get, we'll get into that in a bit. But I also want to stick to the highlights, if possible. Because I don't want to ruin the book. You know, I don't want to make it to where there's no need to get this book. But let's talk about some points that you guys might have found that were, uh, well, rather shocking and were cool to see. Kind of starting I off. Think, one of the cool oh, go ahead. I'll let see. you, sir. By all means. Uh, starting off, one of the coolest, one of the cool things I like to see is there's a. This is kind of where the heritage of, of the Camarilla starts, long before it ever exists. Um, you can see the actual roles of, that you see every day in the Camarilla existing in here. They have a senate of uh, of individuals that function almost exactly like uh, like. What's the name of the senate? Um, it's the Eternal Senate. It's the Eternal Senate. That's the that's the name to remember. Why say that? Because I've heard it called the Night Senate. You know, I've heard, it, I've heard it called several things, but if somebody's ever been like, what's the Eternal Senate? That's what it's mentioning. It's in this book. 
Oh, I thought there was. Uh, well, they they mentioned they mentioned the, they mentioned their two sentences, and uh, I won't uh, I won't drop it. But one of them's uh, for the Ignati. Um, but you guys for the who you just dropped it. One of us for the Ignati. So what's the other one? We could say that. Like, what are you talking about, Nick? Please. They uh, I believe they call them just patriarchs. Um, or, or something similar. It starts with a P. I don't have it right in front of me, so I'm trying to I'm trying to pull it out. Um, but uh, it, it's something similar to that, where they're individuals that that lord over their their actual clans, um, and uh, and they function like a senate, like a, um, just like a, like Primogen would, uh, advising the prince, handling their different districts inside the city. Um, you know, given domain, kind of the same exact way from the prince. There are some things to spice up, though. The Ignati—they're just referring straight up to the fact that that's the Inkanu. Oh yeah, that's oh, what, that's, that's what oh, it no is. Question. And why you're why you're wondering? Aren't they called the Patriarchs? Because they are. These are the people that leave Rome and become the Inkanu. That's exactly what they're referencing to. So, in a character in here that's the acting seneschal is is Cretheus, you know, the first senator. But it is still the Eternal Senate they're talking about. When it's in here, he's a part of the Eternal Senate, one of the last ones that stayed as the rest left. But they talk a lot about their shadow being left here or their influence still being felt here, and he's one of the examples of it. Yep, amongst, I think uh, amongst many others. I think one thing to also talk about is like there's, especially when it comes to Rome and when you bring up Cretheus, like he's, he's the last of his kind when it comes to the Eternal Senate. He's just the guy who's still holding space. Why? many reasons that you could come up with in your own story they give you a couple of reasons in the story itself because obviously not only is he you know the first senator he also happens to be you know the chill to mithras so why is he still staying in rome what is his purpose there especially with camilla um being prince uh, someone who's actively on the road of sin um what is everyone else around the world doing so he he holds his own and i think there's something to be spoken of and i think that he seems like the central figure to me because especially the way that Rome is in this melancholic state and we'll probably see in other domains later. Um, he, he just embodies all of it. So when I'm reading this, I think speaking, looking at him, you're, you're in this, whatever glory had been is no longer. And Cretheus is just kind of there to document all of it. Um, there are a plethora of the characters. And one thing that I will say, um, when you take a look at this is the cast of characters, um, and, and folks that are in there are there to kind of provide, um, especially here. Uh, one of them, of course, being the Bride of Night. Who is the Bride of Night? She is a Lysambra who is mysteriously representative of the Castle of Shadows. And what she's purposely there to do is just kind of push herself into the papacy and kind of overthrow Camilla. And, and this is the, the perfect time to do so. Rome is not what it once was before, so now you get to see where the influence of everyone else starts to encroach upon another. And, and here's the thing that I got from it, too. This felt like a heavy-handed way to say this other Lysambra get the church. That was my, mm. just, it just seemed heavy handed. And, and what you got to understand is like the venture are here, but they most have left, right? The eternal scent that mattered had taken off. They're moving on to other things. There's conquest elsewhere. That's what they're doing. But this is the city that is still those who stayed, I guess this should be called in my opinion. This chapter is another way to look at it. And when you think yeah. of the bright of night, it's like the Lysarma said, you left a gem and we're here to polish it. And we know what we're going to do with it. But you can't knock the fact of why is that possible. Camilla's the prince. Well, what's wrong with Camilla, fellas? I, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with him at all. Uh, he just embraces a different side of uh, vampirism than most people. Yeah, they, they call him the anti-pope. What? Yes, the anti-pope. How does he get to sit there and lord over the place where Rome's got the church? 
Well, I'm glad you didn't ask that, people who aren't here to ask that question directly <laughs> that I will answer for. The simple fact is, and why I found this interesting at all, is because Camilla, we know, is lovers to same, the same dude, right? It's Tanith Balsar's uh, right-hand man and partner and everything else. And we're trying to figure out something, though. Here, Cretheus talks about Camilla in a very sinister light. A very yep. dark light. After everything we read, we read from the Road of Sin that it was like an age of exploration, of understanding, and your your sins are not sins. Your body was meant to be explored. Enjoy honey and weed and everything else under the sun. It's so good to be alive. Kill the pretty ones if you want. Kill the old if you want. It's okay. We understand. And this book's like, nah, he evil. Nah, he's evil as it gets. He's a... Uh, He's a Methuselah woke up and said, it's my time now. Yep. Everybody dance to my tune. And that's what this is about. And at the same time, you have the Bride of Night going around, and she had to prove to everyone that she comes from Castle de Ombros. And they were like, look, man, she doesn't just serve any old La Sombra. It's she either serves the La Sombra or one of his chilled. And that one they're throwing in, it seems like they're referring to Montano. Right? Because they would have to. The other dude, who cares at this yeah. point, right? So that would be him. Now I'm sitting here laughing because the Bride of Night, never heard of, she shows up here for the first time. Spooky words, ancient wisdom. Where did she come from? Is she an abyss mystic? Is she not? No, she's just some weird chick that walks up and doesn't even warrant a real name. The Bride <laughs> of Night, right? Now, I poke fun at it, but I really think that it was done that way on purpose so you understand the mystery that she's able to keep. And she's also fifth gen. You're going to see that's a lot of the theme here that to truly influence a place where you're at as a vampire, it's important to remember, it's not about you coming in and establishing control and I own. It's about you influencing the most mortals. That's the true race. The true race is to get in under the skin of those who are dominant in power that you can see are going to become something. And they're guided by you or supported by you or opposed by you, depending on how that game's going to get played. I feel a lot of players think it's about coming in and kicking ass. You come in and take the arm and you, de you just decimate. If you reset to zero, everywhere you go is a Methuselah. Before long, you're not going to have any blood or anyone to follow you that's worth a damn. Like, how are they, they going to advance? Do you see what my point? And that's kind of a thing that a lot of the vampires understand. Because when you see this in here, a lot of them are saying the same thing. Where, why did the Eternal Senate leave? Well, the might of Rome fell. We all had a piece of the pie and all that's gone now. What's left for the ashes if we're taken off? But then why is Cretheus still around? Well, the way he explains it, it's to uh, to kind of pick up the... Uh, to, to bring Camilla back up and use this as this weird honeypot to try and draw out the worst Canaanites that uh, are somehow sapping the glory of Rome away. You know, to get these degenerates stuck on his, <laughs> his ideologies, his anti-papacy, so that he can either direct hunters at him or, or other Canaanites, or just attack them, have them attack each other, in, until you know, until they all crumble down. And once again, he can of course rebuild the glory of Rome. But he is a Ventru. That's what he would say if he were losing, anyways. That's what... <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> He's not wrong. Not wrong at all. And uh, what I like here about this, though, is that you got other people here to mention. You got Thrax, the Rebel, right? She's a seventh generation Roman Bruja who basically is coming back with uh, enforcing the indignities of her throne in the Bruja clan to fall of Carthage. 
They had to pay taxes, rituals of submission, punishments they had to endure to prove to Rome they were still serving Rome, right? That the Bruja were just penalized for what occurred. What's interesting is out of humor, it's it's Camilla decided to make this guy the Praetor Urbanus. Urbanus. Praetor Urbanus, which is basically a sheriff. Yep, she becomes a sheriff. Which is exactly what Nick said. But then there's another role where they handle the borders, and that was given to a gangrel. Oh, what does that sound like? Right, exactly. Like sounds like a scourge, don't it? Like yeah. don't be out here doing business. I'm inside doing that, and that's just backing it up. And that's that's all really fun. I don't want to cross purpose this all day, defying what we said we were going to do. Uh, but that's what uh, that's the most interesting part about Rome is kind of seeing how this pans together, and they're slipping it through the ribs. Is it a place that you could start this campaign, overthrow Camilla, and do your own thing? Best of luck. I see no reason why not, but best of luck. You know, that's where it is. Because why would Corinthia stand back and throw him up there and allow you to come in and oppose that? That's the interesting thing. Cretheus ruled 300 years before Camilla got back up. So he definitely has some swing. That's important. Now, for the Easter egg drop. A lot of you might be new and just started at 20th. And maybe been diehard uh, Requiem fans. Or what have you. I'm going to throw Cretheus under the bus here. Because I feel that Dawkins and the authors did a magical job at resurrecting this character. He was first mentioned in Lair of the Hidden. Hmm. Lair of the Hidden, he's called Cret. And that's where they have all the Inkanu in one building, and they're making sacrifices to a demon to remain hidden from the world. This is the future of Cret. Right? Is what I'm saying. That the Lair of the Hidden is. Here we see his origins. Now, looking at Cret in Lair of the Hidden, it says he doesn't care about Mithras anymore. Why? He sat down and had a magical chat with Solid. Ran into Solid, they had a chat, and he said, you know what? My blood bond to Mithra is melted like water. And I was like, huh, interesting. Now that's a, that's a bold take on it. Because when you're reading in here, Cretheus was more than just blood bound. Like he lockstock believed in the, in the Mithraism cult and that was his strength and that's what he stood for. That's his whole world. What was the conversation with Saul that told him he could shelled up into a, a tower, pray to a demon, and do everything else? <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a, that's a definite <laughs> chuckle moment, and me tapping my nose, we'll get to it. But that's the <laughs> that's, that's the whole over-under here to remember when you read this book. A lot of the times they use a character in here, it pays due diligence to do a little homework and wonder if this person's been around before. And absolutely has. And I think the two meld well with determining kind of a fate that could be thwarted or maybe do away with, right? It's up to you and how you want to use Lair of the Hidden on top of it, but it's worth looking into. What did you guys think of the Underground? Uh-huh. Uh, specifically the elder tunnels absolutely the nosferatu tunnels built right because uh and i apologize i didn't mention the the guy who kind of sets it up um there's an ideal which is a role of basically being the sculptor somebody who well i don't think sculptor is a good term tunnel maker if you will Ar- caters architect. to yeah. architect sure it's an architect of a type and uh maginaro nardo is that it maginaro what is it maginaro Maginardo. Right. Maginardo. You gotta it's, have it's, fingers. Maginardo. You, right, you gotta try to do it correctly. <laughs> we sound like asses, but uh, <laughs> basically, what he does is he goes underneath and he's trying to rebuild the underground into being a kind of necropolis for vampires from the stand. And he, he kind of gives you the tour saying that any type of opulence you want, we can find you. There's plenty of room. We used to have a million people here in Rome. We're now down to 30,000. There's definitely space for you to fit in. What's interesting is they go further to talk about, by the way, the Nosferatu, take a turn. 
as a clan. It's like the first place they really established themselves with an underground. But what did you think about it? I just, I, it doesn't always uh, surprise me that much uh, that the Nosferatu would spend a lot of time underground and they would build elaborate warrens and that they would do such a thing in a city like uh, like Rome. Uh, to me, that, that just makes sense. It's a no-brainer. Of course, they're going to have amazing, elaborate catacombs and, and tunnels down here. Not just for them, but also for the um, uh, for the Cappadocians as well. The the part that did throw me for a loop was the the elder tunnels they were talking about, which are deeper and weirder than the tunnels even they know, and carved by things they're not even sure about, which go between natural formations and different things like that. Those are always kind of interesting because they talk about encountering all kinds of things down there, whether it's ancient um, Nas or whether it's fey kingdoms that are down there. It could be just about anything. Those are it, even a worm hive, you know, so much as having a black, running into a black spiral down there, you know, things like that. And you're kind of like, all right. I guess. <laughs> now, you'd, you'd have to know the lore of those other places, too. I found it interesting they put that... It, to me, it's an Easter egg. Brad, right. use as much as you want to, but if you know the story of Scotland, and you know the story of the White Howlers, and you see what goes on and how they operated and, and their collision with Rome, you, you could see it making sense. That they're having something there of it. It's sort of a haunting factor. I enjoy that. I think a lot of people wonder how to cross-genre stuff tastefully. This is kind of paving the way for you to do so. Uh, to have it. I think it's a mistake to be in certain areas and say that there would be no fae, there would be no lupines, there's no mages. It's it's bullshit. Yeah, there is. Of course there is. Yeah. It's to what degree. And it's an interesting take on it. What's up, DJ? So I was about to say, one of the things, especially, you know, the first time you mentioned it was a small amount of silence. So I have to let our listeners know, well, why is there a small amount of silence? And that's because, you know, coming in from modern, especially masquerade, it's like, oh, well, obviously Nosferatu tunnels, they've got to be here. As was being mentioned before, this is actually where we start to take advantage of the fact that, yes, tunnels exist everywhere, and especially, let's go with the, the architecture of Rome. What makes the Nosferatu good here is that they make the best use of it. They also speak about the Brachia in terms of having that 3D sculpted model in terms of them. They're, just, they're pioneers at this moment. They're taking a look at it. And what if you could bring that same amount of wonder into your modern game as well, right? What exists, we, you know, the same thing with taking a look at what lies underneath New York. But what takes what, what happens in other locations where your Nosferatu are now able to have this type of adventure when they're able to sculpt out the land that's underneath that is always been there or made by their hands. And I think that that's the most refreshing bit of information that you'll get um, reading this section because sometimes we, we do take Nosferatu and tunnels for granted. It's like, oh yeah, why not? It, it already happens. But um, here especially because of the timeline and how they're making use of it, now you start seeing where they're master of the warrens. I agree. That's uh, uh, that's food for thought for sure. But we're going to roll on, unless you got a parting comment there, Nick. Uh, I, I thought you were going to talk about it. Cretheus drops a bomb on us. I, I'm sorry. Please drop the Cret bomb. Um, he says in, in very plain terms that Solid is the, uh, the progenitor of the Bali bloodline. Dun, dun, dun. Now, now we said we were going to let you read that, but we wanted to make sure you didn't miss it. Um, to be fair, I did. I went through here and read and was like, I thought he was waxing poetic, and they were like, no, no, look at the structure of the wording. And he went back and looked at it, I was like, oh, no, no shit, that's exactly what he said. It's exactly what he said. He takes credit for him creating two. Two distinct differences in Solid's quest 
Because Solid apparently said to said himself, in order for me to know the heavens, I have to know the depths. Right? It's just as bad as it gets. Those who are evil to serve below would give us understanding of what's above. And so to that end, he created the Solid, you know, we all know the Salubri, and then he created the Bali. And in Carthage is where he instigated their downfall. He just cleanly outlines it. Everyone thinks that Carthage got magically corrupted and blah, 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 and then suddenly the clans knew about it. You wonder who blew the whistle. Uh, Solid did. Solid did. He said, over here, you do the ass kicking, please. Thank you. I'm an antediluvian. Push chips forward. And it makes sense, because if you got someone like Credius, who serves these patricians or these badass elders, these Methuselahs alike, who are all united sitting back going, interesting play, old bean. Well done. It seems the antediluvian once you gone, Carthage shall fall. You know, and then Carthago de Lendo Est, says Cato, yelling left and right. And you're like, oh, I guess they are going to sack Carthage. And they did. And that, and that was that. Does it make too neat of a story? Sure. You could say Cretius is wrong, but then you explain why that happened. Cretheus, or Cretheus, not Cretius. That kind of makes sure. elsewhere. Right. He's doing something else. Talking about good old Cret. Just leave it at that. Now, why is this fascinating? Well, one, uh, we here at 25, where our whole team's been saying, come on. Solid's an a-hole. He's clearly the wrong, just a jerk. Look what he's doing. And everyone's like, no, if you look at the time of the end times, he saves in scenarios the antediluvians. Yeah, 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 no one pays attention to that. All right, it's the 20th anniversary update. We There's too much evidence pointing to the fact this guy believes. He truly believes in all arrogance. He's the best in the world. He's the savior, and he can be the darkest there is. Right? I suffered evil true to know what good is. Yeah, the road to hell's paved with good intentions as well. Right, you can't be can't be both. That's sort of the the overriding theme, and redemption though. No, sorry, you don't get redeemed for making the Bali guy. That's uh, that's off the table. But you be the judge when you go through there and read it, and you check it out and look in the feelers, see see what you feel about it. Um, I personally agree. That is a bomb, and I enjoyed it. We're moving on. All right, so <laughs> this time we're roll <laughs> to the domain. We're checking out the domain of uh, of Bath, right? Bath is a structure based on uh, kind of like the hallmarks of Rome. Like, there's Rome, sure, but this is where Mithraicism is, is all the rage. It's like Daner out in the open with everything they got going on. And it's about blood loyalty uh, to a historic ideal um, and whether or not it's going to hold, right? That's sort of how it works. Everyone here is in the verge, though, of a civil war as well. Because if it's going to be a utopia, you got to know there are other factions kind of mustering to counter and take care of it. And there was a group of canines here before they even got here to officially make it a domain in and of itself, that have to be considered. To that end, um, what what's your take on Bath, this this domain? There was this thing in there um, where they were talking about uh, they have their own Arthurian legend that, that kind of comes through here. Um, and uh, I can't remember exactly how it was pronounced. It's like Arturo or something, something similar to that. Uh, but it's not exactly Arthur, and it's a, it's a Saxon. Uh, who comes in and uh, and kind of comes through with the the Virgin Mary like writ across his shield and his own version of the Sword of Null. Um, that's not the Sword of Null. Of course, it's Excalibur, and he's got his own uh, his own druid wizard off to his side named Merthyn, in the uh, in the old Welsh way of saying it. <laughs> and uh, it, and they come through and they you know do some mad damage. And uh, and I, I I was I started rolling my eyes. Um, at it immediately, and then I, and I thought to myself, 
Well, is that beyond what I would do? Would I do something like that? I probably would do something like that where I'd bring in somebody and give you that are they, aren't they uh, scenario where you really want to kind of like leave it up to the players who are interacting with them to determine if this person who the populace is just falling in love with will be the legend that later on becomes, you know, what we read about constantly and, you know, see Guy Ritchie movies made about. It's, uh, <laughs> for me, I, 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 I'd, I'd probably do something similar. Maybe not the exact same way, but definitely something similar. Um, so that's, uh, that's worth checking out in here for sure. You know, if you're not too busy being distracted by the, uh, the, the black dogs. <laughs> which so, we'll get to what was it I was about to say which we'll get to at one point but I think that um, it, the domain of bath what it does offer is exactly that knowing that Mithraism is everywhere knowing that if you want to be part of this club if you want this sanctuary bubble that's kind of built around you got to drink the Kool-Aid that's one thing um, and what it does is it kind of I almost want to say that the way I kind of imagine it is kind of going to rehab uh, I, I and not that I've been there, but in terms of like how they paint it for you, right? You know, you're you're going in, you're going in with an expectation of like you're gonna DJs feel can't safe. stop, won't stop, never been to rehab. <laughs> Rehabs for quitters. <laughs> but uh, you you have this feeling like you're going with the expectation that there's certain things happening that give you a sense of stability, mental stability, a spiritual stability in certain cases. In fact, one of the things they speak about it, it's one of the few locations where certain salubri are, are still kind of hanging in here and they find a little bit of sanctuary in, in certain ways uh you know one of the main characters that's being listed as being protected by her her nosferatu um and and as you're inside of the sanctuary and you're inside of it there's there's that feeling of like the longer i spend time in here i'm, I'm drinking the kool-aid longer i understand what's going on am, am, am i really here of my own volition if i'm doing so how much of it is actually me versus what they're selling me um, and that's where you're going to get a lot of your conflict from, because then you have your Prometheans who completely understand, like, we could make this a sanctuary without it being, without anyone having to drink, uh, drink the Kool-Aid. And then you have the Tremere who are standing on the outside going, like, we know what you're holding in there in the form of Salubri. Just give them up. It's going to be all cool. Um, and I think one of the more interesting things as well is um, this is also the setting for where you'll start seeing a lot more of the Harbingers or what would become the Harbingers of Skulls. But this... This, this experiment, this Petri dish of, of sanctuary, all under the guise of like, great, we're looking at this from uh, from the point of uh, cold, but where's Mithras? Nowhere here, but that's just how good his influence is, that it stretches just so far, and this is just the pocket of the world that exists within that bubble. This this is where it starts to become like, my God, how many books can have Mithras in it? Like, just how many? <laughs> right? You're going to be all the way up to V5, you're going to hear about Mithras. He didn't die down. He's, he's can't stop, won't stop. He's everywhere. He's an easy guy to go back to. It started up all over again. And that's just what... Bad boy for just, life. That's just it. But is it Mithras' fault? What you look at here is that you have Mithras and Torpor for long stretches at a time. And any smart canine is going to be able to look at that and go, well, I was on his side and pretty popular too. So I'm just going to drink the Kool-Aid, but invest in my own interests as well. Mithras is always going to side with me in terms of I can better myself as long as he's first. And that's all he asked. In this mindset, it's the same thing Rome did. Right? That's what I think they're pointing out. Is that this is how to conquest. It is not roughshod rollover. Right? Because even here, they're hidden in training beneath a citadel. For all their Mithraic-like rituals and whatnot. And meanwhile, up top, they're, you know, drink the Kool-Aid. We're just awesome people here in Bath doing our deeds. 
they, they start to kind of separate that too between whether he's following actual Mithraism or following Mithra. It's uh, right. and they, they start to get a separation between the two, and it, it gets to the point where one of the one of the people who's um, <clears throat> relaying some information says a line. I'm not sure Mithras even cares about what's happening over here anymore, because right? you know it seemed like uh, we got this we got this golden boy. He got set down as prince, and then from that point forward, um, he's kind of been doing his thing, and they've been having these awesome vigils, you know, down in the tunnels where they're pouring mead all over ladies, and then they, uh, you know, and they celebrate with the killing of the bull and all kinds of other um, Mithraic cultish. Um, acts and and it's not necessarily 100% to Mithras the way you would think it is even though he is supposed to be the embodiment deity of this it depends on who you ask as to how uh, how close that is to being true that's a good point uh, to that end though like his like just how devoted they are to this I think it's genius how Arcadius uh, he, he trains the Praetorian Guard here yeah, right. He this does. is this is the unconquered. He's building his own army. I yeah. challenge that Mithras ever wanted this done, right? Because if you're him, you already have a devoted army. It's whoever has joined of a marshaled gate. They're already part of it. Well, this is Arcadius makes a hit squad. To to their sole purpose is to further the ends of Avalon. A bastion, sir. Right, and Arcadius said, "Well, if you're in charge, <laughs> where you're at, whatever I need for Avalon, I'm training them. I can send them where I want to get what I need." And this adds another layer, but this shows you why you have the Praetorians like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna throw this dude right off the top of Bath so we can intercede and stop this from happening. And again, we see how kind of the Ventru, that really the villains in the world of darkness, like even more so. Like of all the clans, I'm seeing more and more the Ventru, the deep-seated, hard to get rid of villains that are establishing these tyrannical reigns for alleged good purposes. And through it all, you have Bruja trying to oppose them. Knowing that, look at what they're doing. Look at where this is going to go. And they're trying to scream in the dark, so to speak. Which every every bad guy needs a good, you know, counter to what they do. And I think that's there. Bath is no different. But I have adored the Praetorian Guard. Always have, even historically. They were always the ones, well, now they serve the Emperor the same way. Whatever is needed for the good of Rome. Right? That's kind of what their thing is. This is the same deal. And it rolls into it. And I would, to me, this is the domain you have set up. That has to go along with Rome. Right? Because Rome seems to be like the hollow, you're here, with, you know, Camilla, what's going on with that? That's great. Creepy words, spooky things. But you want to go to Bath if you want to see what's going on. And this is where it's going to hold hold out and your intrigues are going to come into play, which are not immediately seen by some dark overlord. Yep. And I think the two combine very well uh, to that. However, I got, a, good. I got a question for DJ. Did you see the uh, Fratris uh, Plaga? Or the, I think that means Pike Brothers in Latin. I don't know. My Latin's very rusty. Um, but it's these three guys uh, who are who are mm. caps um, that uh, that kind of have these different viewpoints on on playing with plague and boy, do they play with plague. Oh, they um, did. They're. Uh, I'll, I'll go over them. Like there's the three of them, which is Holloman, who is this childlike entity that remains sentient but believes in purging impurities amongst others right like how do you how do you how do you achieve this this uh, uh, next level remove all types of impurities and this is how we're going to get through it then there's the gentleman 
it literally spelled as a gentleman, uh, who embraces <laughs> among the sick and seeks to understand the preservation of the plagues. So, you know, and this also reminds me of certain things you see in Requiem, especially with the Mechad, when they're like, let's just continuously create our plague doctors. Let's let's create that the, the Morbus in there. And this is kind of what you see in terms of like, if we could understand it and probably embrace you so we could always preserve that plague, then you're literally a walking Petri dish of awesomeness that we'll just continuously refine our arts through. And then uh, the last one, <laughs> the Carnifex. Um, who through the living world knows to purge accordingly to keep their, their herd strong. And I thought this was interesting in the way that we'll make sure everyone else is taken care of because just the same way the natural world will make entropy and, and it'll go through the process of excising things it doesn't need, they'll protect themselves outward like that. It, it was an interesting take. There's crazy ideas in there. They're like crazy ideas, right? And the first one is that um, by uh, infecting yourself, and then burying yourself and baptizing yourself in water and things like this, you're bringing yourself closer to God. Therefore, it's a way of purifying yourself. Like that's how you heal yourself. <laughs> that's that's madness, right? But the 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 worst part is Carnifex, the last guy, where he's just like survival of the fittest, bro. What we're gonna do is we're gonna infect everybody, and whoever lives, that's our new herd. And that guy, I applaud him. He clearly is going to survive the Black Plague. Right? <laughs> That's a thinker. He's thinking ahead. Cultivating the best, right? Or he's just started. Or he hope he gets killed quickly. Right? I hope he... Re- <laughs> like, I mean, look at his progenitor, right? That guy's over here like having people living with pigs and chickens, getting all kinds of new flus going on. Is that normal oatmeal you got? Did you add the chicken blood? No? <laughs> Definitely put the pigs not in it then. Uh, this freaking guy. All right, above all that, I want you to know that I'm immediately converted in this book. On particular, it's page uh, 32. I'm an instant Mithraist because I saw the ritual I have to undergo, and I am prepared. <laughs> I am prepared for said ritual. They got I, a photo of even, it. I'm not even going to look at the page, sir. I think I already know what it is. I'm just letting you know that I am prepared for it. Um, what it shows is that there is a this. This is not debauchery. This is a high ritual, okay? They have the maiden who has the the flower the flower circlet on. She's a buxom brunette leaning back, and they have this stud guy behind them who's with reverence pouring a tankard of mead right on her crotch, and he's wearing the hat. Now, I'm he's got the weird like sun hat like out of a Mithrian priest would have, yeah. and everyone else is just like, oh, this is awesome. We're drinking and enjoying ourselves too, but we're next up or whatever. And this picture spoke to me. It said maybe I got Mithras wrong. Maybe Mithras knows how to party with the best of them. And that's what this is. This is a right you can understand. I don't know. Right of the wet crotch. I don't really fully understand it 100%. But the artist who drew this was clearly inspired by something. And I think it was because it might have been the domain of Bath. We're talking about Mithras again. And here we have it. And here's, here's an interesting one. But there's no killing of a bull. Right? However... There is no. someone in the back that is about to kill a bull, right, in this photo. Like, it's not dead, but almost. And you see him in the way back there. But is that, like, some sort of fade person? Uh, no, no. That that in the back is a painting of uh, Mithras killing the bull, sir. Is it? Yep, very common. Yeah, Mithras looks like a weird midget uh, in the back. Yeah, about to give... looks yeah, like he's got a smurf hat on. It's just, like, he's weird. He's weird. I thought it was a red cap, to be honest. I was like, oh, man, Jason's red cap doing that. We got this in the basement. and But but what does the bull slaying have to deal with the with the meat crotch? I don't know. 
but I, I do know that I could get behind this right. Strangely, erotic but tasteful, nothing untoward happening, just pouring good spirits in a holy ceremony of maybe she's somehow an altar personified for the rites of Mithras. I don't know. And uh, that's it. I do know this much. Now it's okay to spill drinks on women. Right? You just have to make sure she wears the flower circlet and you have the hat of the sun. And that makes it legit. I don't know. I could be wrong. Right? I'm not embracing the mysteries yet. But I, climbing aside, I enjoy this photo a lot. I really do. I think it's sincere, in utter sincerity, what it's here doing is showing how this cult grows. And it's going to be, what is a rite and a ritual? Right? What they do, they're designed to, like a rite is, in, is designed to initiate you further uh, into into a cult. Right? I initiate you to the next circle. Here's the rite we use. A ritual is something you would use as sort of a binding element during a time of the seasons and things like that to bring you closer. It can be regional. You know, cultures change the farther out it gets. Remember, Mithras himself does not come from the Isles of Avalon. Right? He came over from Persia. Mm. You know, and he brought that over here. Who knows how much he's been misinterpreted, but clearly they're showing you the cult's kind of changing. As he's no longer in the main front and center, people are taking it and flipping it to something else. And that makes this uh, domain worth taking a look at. Because to me, it inspires you to go, we gave you the photo that shows you it can get pretty weird. <laughs> it's weird as you want to take it. And that's and that's up to you where you want to go. And I think, I think it should happen. Um, but you were saying something about a black dog. Uh, yeah, it, it does mention a creature in here that's a, a fabled creature um, called the black dog. What's interesting is uh, in just about every one of these sections, you're going to see um, a, uh, a creature like this, um, where they take something that's either folklorish or, or mythological, and they kind of give you an idea as to where that folklore came from and, uh, and how you can use that. And they give you some basic like stats. It's not necessarily saying it has any disciplines or blood or anything like that, but kind of gives you an idea of of how that stuff would uh, would be used in a similar rule set. What'd you think of it, DJ? I like it. Uh, just mechanically adding an additional creature per section, and especially per domain, kind of not only a adds to the folklore of it, but it makes it easier. And, and I agree um, with Nick when it comes to how it's being presented. I think one of the better things that always happened, especially throughout the masquerade and, and now moving into this, is the need not to have to look into another book, especially if you're carrying this for your own troop. Um, this gives you just enough to be able to recognize exactly how you'd want to portray it. So even if you're not looking at the stats, you could visually um, just make the appropriate as association of how you'd want to execute, you know, having to use these particular creatures. All right. And I think that's it for Bath. Uh, but rolling forward, we're going to get to the domain of Bjarkari. And uh, Bjarkari. Bariah Carey? I'm sorry, I'm terrible. Bariah Carey. I really, Carey. I really wish That's I knew. That's what it is. I really wish I knew how to pronounce this word. Uh, Carey, but basically here's the theme of savagery. Right? The rulers here are definitely gangrel. And this theme is about, well, raids. It's about uh, the Scandinav uh, their neighboring Scandinavian uh, borders. About them doing raids that are out here. And pursuing crusades wherever the desire for their leader takes her. You know, wherever she chooses to go. And uh, basically they have to embrace this violence to survive. Because they have a small domain. They have to go where the blood is. And so sometimes where they're at's not enough, they reach out to get even more or what they're going to do. And it sort of gives you an idea of what that's like. Because, once again, if you don't have the hold of Mighty Mithras or some other type of Methuselah with the, with the Senate that's uh, supporting a structure to pull people in, it's all about the herd, folks. 
If you don't have that blood supporting what you have, you're going to have to go to it. And this is a way to do it. It's still a domain if they all go out and raid and then come back after feeding. But I also feel that this is, at least for me, this is shades of pack dynamics. Right? Groups of vampires running forward to a cause that seems common and uh, simple. It's not necessarily about individual power, although there is a structure, but it's about getting what you need and the blood is alive. Uh, DJ, what do you think about this domain? With this domain, this is a theme that we're starting to see, especially using Bath, which we talked about cults before, and we're taking a look at Roman, how that particular cult went and, and what's laid behind. In Bjarkery, what we're seeing here is Balborg, who's the queen, ends up showing up, and she is removing Christianity from the picture, but she's supplanting it with a twisted version of the old ways. You know, there's the Red Thor. People are fighting to, to bloody up. All she wants is the carnage because it's what feeds her and it's what keeps her going. What I like about this domain, and it's weird because even though it's the domain of this location, which is consistently abused by, you know, their vampire population, there are pockets of respite that are being shown. Um, and as Bob was mentioning before, and it all ties together, so I just have to go into it, is essentially you have a, a roaming pack, uh, pretty much like a roaming court at this point, and the coterie of whatever, it, however you would name this this crew. You have a queen who also has a diplomat in the form of a Toreador, who also has a scout in the form of a Bruja, who also has a butcher and or scourge in the form of another <laughs> Gangrel. But what they do effectively is they mention, oh, it's time to go reaving. Well, we got to go, you know, the, the winter and spring are going to be what they are. We'll be back in about five years or so. Good luck, everyone. And everyone's like, oh, thank God she's gone. And then the herd repopulates, and uh, she doesn't anticipate that her domain is going to stay the way it is. In fact, she'd rather it not be because it gives her something to come back to. They're like, oh, new people? Great. We get to war again. But in terms of how she travels with her crew, um, she she starts to establish herself, even in the Outreamer lands, where she'll just be like, well, even though I, I could give two shits about Christianity, I'll put up the flag. And the cross, if it means that I'm not going to get bothered if I go ahead and start sacking some Saracens out there. Um, it's, it's an amazing crusade for me. I'll be back, folks. And it is what it is. But it works so effectively, so elegantly in its savagery, for lack of a better term. Um, but I think that her coming back, knowing that people are going to try to challenge her, someone already took it over, and her going like, all right, mama's home, folks. We're, we're taking it back, is I think what's hilarious about this. And it proves that might makes right. It proves, especially in, in the form of this gangrel um queen who's just coming in that you don't have to worry about where you are so long as you just carry you know yourself with that power um i thought that was pretty cool uh, that's what i would take away from it you know what i thought was really cool her hammer uh, is named uh christer bonnie which means like a either god slayer christ slayer or weakling slayer which tells me that in whatever language this is the word for christian and weakling is the same. Synonymous according <laughs> to her. <laughs> let's let's not forget the cold-blooded rights they had in here. It's like, yeah, you can have Christians here, but on sacred rights, we choose you to sacrifice. Yeah, 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 yeah. your God's great. Come over here. Right, turn the other cheek, right? Yeah, well, don't make me hit you this hammer yet. Why? We got to perform the blood eagle. And you're just, <laughs> they will you're drag due. you out of your haven. Right, Canaanite, sir. Canaanite sacrifices. They will drag you out of your haven over the river you know like basically torture you and mutilate you until your blood drains into this river so that the people down river can reclaim of some of what was taken from them it's uh it's brutal right i mean that's that's what this is if you are not of the original people here and you're visiting uh definitely don't 
look too much into settling. Like, you got to be there, trade, I don't know, avoid getting hit with the weak Christian hammer and get the hell out of here, right? That's the that's the name of the game. I enjoy this thoroughly because I like the name of Red Thor's Reavers. I even like the artwork <laughs> where it shows them kind of going around. These are bullies. These are canine bullies going about doing what they choose to do. And um, it's a different take than, you know, seeing the, the well, they already did it, right? They did Wolves of the Sea where it shows you a different take of how that goes. This is like the red-headed evil stepchildren. <laughs> in a domain based on that yep. and it works it fits very well i think the the update in this book uh does an honest take of how that setting is and everything you guys said fits seamlessly save for one interesting thing are you talking about the sites the fosberg oh the fosgrim you mean fosgrim yes loot boy sugar shorts loot boy not flute boy that's tanith balsahar this is loot boy Sugar shorts. So what is it? It's a, it's a, it's another one of those, uh, those folklore fairy tales, right? A beautiful naked person comes strolling out of a stream in slow motion, and they got this lute come out of nowhere, and they're strumming probably the intro to Stairway to Heaven, very softly and slowly, just <laughs> kind of really drawing you in. You're like, oh my god, I've never heard anything so metal in my life, and and you slowly <laughs> start to wander over there, and. Uh, and they entrance you. And, uh, and you would think it would be for all kinds of nefarious ends. Really, they just want to drown you. <laughs> Deciding whether to drown you or not. That's it. They're just, here. They're, just, uh, they're just here to drown you. And why? Because somebody was playing games. Let's say you had, um, I don't know, a visiting uh, Coldum came by, saw they had like a a mortal shell, maybe somebody they just fed upon, their soul left them. They're like, you know what would be really cool? If I just took this water spirit and stuck it inside this mortal shell. And then was born Loot Boy Sugar Shorts, who was constantly trying to get revenge. And if they ever find this cold dude, if they ever. If they ever. Them, <laughs> who, who banished them to this, this hybrid form for the rest of their days. It's, it's something that... Uh... I wasn't expecting to see in here, and I, I adore it, actually. Looking up the lore for it, I think it's a good combo to remind us of the era we're in, right? When, yep. we, when we play the game, and it's it's, it's tasteful. Mm -hmm. um, but I was going to use something like this in, in a game of my own. Uh, it definitely didn't have rules for it or anything like this, but I was aware of the folklore tales, and I was going to use it in a Transylvania Chronicle, but they had a slightly different name for it. Same basic idea. Pretty maiden comes out of the water, sings you a beautiful song. You come close, she grabs you and pushes you over a waterfall or some shit. But it's a, it's it's a, it's the same basic idea. It's uh, creepy to me how a lot of these island cultures have it right. There's that horse, uh, that the, the seahorse that they have in uh, Scotland. Well, there is that thing, <laughs> right? It walks around. It's a beautiful horse. It neighs. You want you to come up and pet it, and when you do, you stick to its hide as it runs into the ocean changes its tail into like some sort of mermaid tail and swims to the very bottom until you drown and you can't let go because your hands are magically stuck to its hide yeah why i never understood this it's like the mermaids drowning you overboard to drown you <laughs> the fosgrim drown you everything yeah. drowns you the farther north you go just note that <laughs> what defeated all these fairy tales floaties yep. <laughs> floaties that's it once those came out i guess those creatures are out of luck now out of a job, flotation devices. But moving, <laughs> moving on, it's still interesting, clowning aside. Uh, the uh, next one we're going to go to briefly is the Domain of Constantinople. I feel this has been talked to death 
I'm not going to be Constantinople's been covered eight ways from Sunday. Yep. We're going to narrow the focus a bit. Uh, because there is an interesting approach here that they open up to. And what we're talking about is a bit of the apocrypha that you see in every one of these chapters. This one, they talk about the Nephilim. And the Nephilim are basically the followers of the new path called the Path of the Archangel. I've heard that word before, though. Nephilim. What, what is that? Nephilim is in its origin. It's supposed to be the offspring of an angel and a human being. That's what a Nephilim is, according to lore. Right? They're supposed to be... It's what happens... Because it depends on what you believe. Like, real quick, it's believed the angels were empowered by God as God chose. In other words, they're vessels to hold this power to complete tasks that are given. What a human being is supposed to have is a spark inside them that enables them to do great things in time if they have the lifespan to reach it. Right? Their creativity is unbound, provided they can be sparked to do it. However... If you're a vessel that can hold this creativity and you have the means to create it on your own, where does God fit in this scenario? And so it almost like the, they want to say that when it happens, it's bad because you're basically a mini God. And that's what it is. Not here. Not in this book. They refer to the Nephilim simply as those who are pining after the lost Archangel Michael. And they develop a path based on that following. Now, if you ever want a chance to be as unto Michael the Archangel or Mikael, and you wanted to be, you know, plate glass angel, walk around doing your thing. This is the path that's mentioned in here and is given for that. I think it is merit insofar as that when you look at this domain and how it's changed and, you know, who's taken in what direction. If you were ever a part of Constantinople at that campaign when it fell, which was the point of the book when it came out for the city itself, it eventually goes a certain type of way and bad for him. This is those who pine afterward. And it's a path that you could follow. Which still helps you pursue that ever-elusive Golconda to this end. And I think it's very unique. Uh, I myself thought we weren't going to see any unique roads. Right, anymore. We saw what we, were, we saw, and that's what's there, and that was more than enough. Well, um, wrong, Bob. We've given more uh, for you to have that pop and that chance to go with it. Yeah, this uh, this path is, is brutally hard to follow. Like, just <laughs> the second tenet is, is having a frenzy. Like you frenzy, you are back down to basically square one, trying to trying to get yourself back together. It's all about penitence, uh, removal of uh, you know items from oneself. It's like constantly just you know giving of yourself in every possible aspect. But Nick, how can you frenzy if you're too busy crying? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you ever cry following such a glorious path? As one because you weep. before you by by Michael, you an weep angel, that he is an not there. Angel. You, you may you weep for you have known love and he was it. It is that. I mean, the aura is melancholy. It is about you know lamenting, and that's a that's a good way of saying letting go. Some folks enjoy that, and there and there it is. Um, why I'm like roughly going over it is because I've never been want to lament him being gone. Uh, but there are those who do, and here it is. And if they thought of you, and then in interim, and, and here it exists, and it's done well, nothing wrong with it. Check it out. If it's for you, enjoy. Uh, however, what I am interested in is the Zemis Apocrypha, the Academia, and that's with a K. <laughs> I distinctly do it because I'm throwing people under the bus. I'm looking at you, DJ. What what is this? What is the deal of this section with the Academia with the Zemis? Why why would we care against this Apocrypha? So the reason why is because there's always someone that's left behind. Once again, the theme that seems to be following, and especially when it comes to Eliodora, 
who is this Amise who had taken over, or she's taking over uh, what's left of the Alberta's line or how she sees it. Um, there, there's this level of, well, why don't you fold back? And that's because everyone's still following a dream, right? One of the reasons why this apocrypha specifically with Zemitsu is here is because the dream is dead, but no one could let go. She's not letting go either. Um, and one of the things that it even speaks about in this apocrypha is the fact that her lover is also um, a salubri who also is trying to get her off of recognizing that maybe you should start letting up. Yes, it's a good thing to get this wealth of knowledge back. Yes, it's a great thing to stay around uh, and, and take a look at stuff, but you're nearing like obsessive compulsive. Like you're nearing a certain levels of like like monomaniacal behavior that's going to bring you towards the end. Um, and, and that's what we're starting to see here is not only where the Zemisi's taking this, you know, it, she's not focusing on what would normally be seen as like, you know, body horror or like, uh, of ruthlessness in terms of being in the Carpathians and the War Princes. This is this is her goal. Um, but you'll see like the, the mental decline of what's happening here. But what's awesome about it is because as tragic as it is, um, you do see what she does have access to. There's many things within Constantinople still looking um, to be sought after. There are ghosts all over Byzantium. Uh, there are the Abyssal Shrines because here be La Sombra and at one point or another, you dig deep enough, you could find it. Um, and I thought that one of the things mentioned in this Apocrypha was definitely the House of Broken Lamps. Because it's hard to yeah. believe that Constantinople did not have any demons existing within the city in any way, shape, or form. And to make her <laughs> the, the Indiana Jones of sorts uh, of this particular location, um, in fact, that's kind of how I can see her now with just like the, the level of obsession she has, is uh, is haunting. It, it's very haunting uh, to see that, and especially in the Zemis character. The, uh, the, the, the House of uh, Broken Lamps is, is awesome, right? Like, that's, uh, that's probably... The most interesting thing that uh, that I read out of this entire section, and just because you can imagine it from a story standpoint, where you just kind of walk into this lamp, and it's this guy who's like, hmm, what mysteries do we have here? And each one of these like weird cursed items is a temptation all to itself, and everything is just... And then you turn around, and, and the, the bazaar, it was never there in the bazaar. Instead, there's a guy with like a half a goat, Say, hey, you want to buy something? It's, it's like it, it's everything you ever wanted in this With great half a goat. weird mystery thing. <laughs> Only half a goat's my favorite imagery. He's not greedy. <laughs> he also ain't going nowhere with half a goat, but fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I agree. Um, to this end, uh, there's a lot of uh, salubri mentioned, by the way, in things to come. I was uh, mm-hmm. looking at the time and intro we got going on. Uh, we're going to still stick to the hot buttons. We're talking about now just jumping into uh, the domain of Mogadishu. This is, um, this is a surprise. I think a rather pleasant one. Um, Mogadishu's theme is a shadow war, right? Uh, rival tyrants don mask of piety to claim the greatest domain on East Africa's coast. Which they call the something pearl. I forget the name of it, actually. White it's pearl. The white pearl. Because there's a black pearl. And then a movie? I think it is. But anyway, I saw it in school vaguely. My brain forgot about it. But anyway, it talks about what it's like being over here in East Africa. And I think that's the most interesting part for me, for those looking to, to have that there. I think the assumption is that, you know, the the Book of Ebony Kingdoms is out, and that's it's going to be its only mission, and we'll toss it to the side. However, the 20th update doesn't disappoint. Its main book, it definitely introduced bloodlines that are incredibly interesting, uh, that, are, that are out front and possible. This is one of the domains you can start in. And I'm kind of upset that Mike's not here. We kind of pegged this as Mike's thing to cron because he's very passionate about making sure we don't forget all the cultures of the world. You know, Mike's got to tell you that if we're going to talk about 
uh, Mexico and the Sabbat. We want to talk about South America. That's right there, too, and they have an impact, you know, and I support that. And uh, this right here, Mogadishu for East Africa, there's a lot going on. Uh, but, uh, Nick, we're going to start with you on this one. Uh, what grabbed your attention out of this domain chapter? I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was two individuals, a fellow by the name of Jakuta and uh, Serapion. Both of these people are these ancient African entities. And we'll just call them entities. They have a clan or a bloodline, whatever it is. It, 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 it's irrelevant because um, <laughs> they kind of show up and seem to be having like their own weird Gandalf uh, Saruman war in the backdrop of the city where you have the, the prince who kind of took it over and, and there's, a, there's a religious uh, fight going on between different factions. And, uh, and there's a miasma surrounding that that your players directly are affected by because both of these factions are calling upon almost unholy powers to drive their holy conflict against each other. And it, uh, it, it's soul-crushing. But these two ancient entities are also in this tiny little shadow war with each other of, of this territory where one has hold of the city from way before it was Mogadishu. When it was an ancient, ancient city, it was named after them. It was, uh, it was Serapion. And then this guy, uh, Yakuda, just kind of, and that's probably not the right pronunciation, but I'm going to go with it. He kind of shows up as an advisor to this new prince and, uh, and is immediately an intrigue and a mystery to the prince. Can't figure out what's going on with this guy. But he speaks in like that old African wise man way of saying things. He never says too much, and what he does say is kind of a riddle. But what you do know is that he is ancient and powerful. And that alone makes for two great NPCs and interactions that you could easily just uh, baffle your characters with. Like the movie just started playing in my mind immediately when I heard that stuff. I'm going to agree. I, I was fascinated by this section. And uh, before we before I step into it, other than the Asmund Apocrypha, uh, DJ, what, what was your take on this? My take on this was what happens when you weaponize religion? when you as an Asimite who is a Zoroastrian practitioner decide to use Islam as a way to get people on your side and you are only going to use it temporarily but you figured out you can't get rid of it and start pushing people away because the moment you do your opponents are going to make use of it and in that case especially when the Naive being Farnaza who is going to be the prince or rather is the prince has to go up against a, a character named Maziga who is a Ramanga and, and I apologize I have to play this way but for you know you listeners who are not familiar with the ebony kingdom it would be a version of the lasambra so to speak and when you have this ramanga bloodline um using that same level of islam to make sure they keep each other in check how amazing is it that no one could budge because no matter what they believe in you've you've you ran way too far with the story you were telling and now you can't get rid of it and as nick was mentioning before that miasma comes because both of them built this mosque and one of them, especially being Asimite base, is using the sorcery, you know, that's fueling it. And on the other end, being, you know, this, this Lasombra-ish type of bloodline who also has a pool of power underneath it. it everyone becomes passionate. This is, this is almost like that, oh, Bob, if I could only remember the movie, what is it? Not Needful Things, maybe Salem's Lot, one of the two where it's just like everyone just starts going out of control. You have what you want in front of you and you just can't get rid of it. That is Needful Things. And it just generates. Yep. And it just like, generates um... this, this location. It's like a tiny little white lie that you told that led to the next little white lie that you told that led to the next. And suddenly you have a bullshit tapestry 
painted all across a, a, a single wall of just the weird little lies you've told trying to hold that one little piece together. I think that's what makes it awesome because on the surface, Mogadishu, as beautiful as it is, painted as you know the the white pearl, and you have the twin cities of Hamar and Shangani, and it all looks beautiful on the surface. But then there's the insidiousness of the fact that vampires just merely being there have corrupted to such a level, and no one could see it. I thought that was just an awesome dance. There's a couple good points you guys mentioned here that I just kind of want to t- stab a bit. One, the guy's fighting Serpion and his uh, counterpart. Um, Serpion being the older is what it seems. Right, existed so far before. Right. The new one comes in and he tries to establish, and they're warring for it. But where's the justification? It's real simple. I came before. You were not honoring my territory. Mm-hmm. And you're coming and you're taking it over. But as we said before, coming in and killing you is not enough. That, that does nothing. I want the people. I want the hold. I want what you have built. And that's that's kind of insidious how they're coming to do it. Again, open warfare serves nothing in this regard, right? Mm-hmm. If we openly war and everything dies, who wins? That's the That's kind of the point. Interesting that that is, because that's a theme that holds. When you look at Islam, Islam is far younger than Zoroastrianism, mm-hmm. right? That comes mm-hmm. before. And Zoroastrianism, they actually develop roads for it here to kind of show just how deep it goes. And that's what I love about it. It's Asimite Apocrypha because of it. You know, if you follow Zarathustra here, you're talking about Angramainu, which is the personification of evil, and Ahura Mazda, which is supposed to be the spiritual god of good. Now, how this road works, and it's the only unique road so far that I've ever seen that says you start following Angramanya. It's the easiest. It's the one bound in flesh. It's your beast. It's all your base impulses that are forgiven as you explore and go about being just as bad as you can be. But then strangely, you hit a point where you're able to jump to Ahura Mazda for free. It's not a test. It's all part of the same cycle as you go up there. It even then says, but what if you backslide? Or, you know, you're up there and you're pursuing, like, maybe Golconda, maybe not, but you're following the path. And then what happens if a new enemy comes to the territory to do something? You start making sins against uh, Ahura Mazda and you have to go back to your physical. Well, they don't see it as something that's just, like, mentality and philosophy. It's like they become something else, right? Your whole physicality is when you're evil, but as you hit that spiritual half of uh, Ahura Mazda, you're more of a ghost in life as you become more more thoughtful, more of a guru than anything. But if they make you step off the mountain to handle your business, you come in to handle your business. And you're, it's going to be that much harder for you to climb back because you lose everything to settle the score. Even more interesting than that, the Ramanga swear and hold to the fact that their darkness is far darker than Obtenebration. Now, I originally joked at it a little bit. I was like, we had Obten, we had to move, move over. Because we can't steal, we can't have a little bit of having. Let's have something different. But if you think about it, you really think about it, how plausible is it that the Lysambra Antediluvian knew about this the whole time? He comes in, has that tenebration, discovers this abyssal entity, this all that it is. And he knows what's in it. And he becomes of it. Or, what I like to think, he was swallowed by it and consumed. And enjoyed it. Because I'm back to that whole point. He's not I didn't an old... even see you get that tinfoil hat on. Like, it's, just I'm putting it on. Follow, follow the logic here. We're talking about Zoroastrian. We're talking about cyclical. We're talking about what came before and how ancient it is. Lasabra, they have nothing to say what he was before. In fact, the clan goes, he must have been something that was simple and didn't matter. Fine. Then where did his rise to greatness come from? <laughs> and if you think about it, he poked a hole into somewhere he shouldn't have been. Something looked at him, found him wanting, and filled him up. 
with what he was looking for. And that's it. And he learned to use it as a tool? You could say that. Or maybe he's the Pied Piper of the destruction of a certain type of person. Like, you're doomed to be a La Sombra to no obtenebration. Or maybe he saved it. Your call. Depends how deep an obtenebration you want to go. But reference abyss mysticism to see where that damnation's coming from, where I'm getting that idea. Now, the Ramangas say, screw you, Bob. We know what the abyss is. And there is no choice. It calls to us. It's a part of us. We can't escape it. It's not the mere beast. We become the darkness that we were beholden to. And it's that simple. And so this is not a tool to us. This is what we are. It's our lineage. It's our source of power. It's what we become. That subtle difference makes them distinctive. I don't consider them La Sombra number two because of that. Because how you roleplay that's going to be everything. And there's shit, in other words, if you need a guiding light, and we all do, Am I just a Lissambra when I'm playing a Ramanga? And you gotta ask yourself, that depends. How into that darkness are you? Where's that story coming from? And when you look in this book, you look at this domain, you look at the Apocrypha and see the distinction you're trying to make, it's only one page. But that page says a lot about mm-hmm. how they see it. When you look at their powers in the in the main book for uh, Dark Ages 20, you see the differences. And it's there and it, it makes more sense to me. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that the the that distinction, especially there, there's a line in there that mentions like we take a look at Lasombra, their use of a of tenebrations, of course, that sheer will using as it a tool. But they mentioned Romanga made this pact with this faceless creature that she took the brunt of the deal and, and so long as she keeps doing what she's gonna be doing, she pleases it, it may not have affected um the, her children and her lineage, but it only goes to speak further about the Liban and how tradition is everything. How in one shape or another you honor that which you you have worked with, and because as you were mentioning before, there's that that understanding of what it is to be dark and what it is to have it reflect back at you and what your pact is. What is your relationship to it? Is a lot more different than just being completely consumed and not being anything at all, right? And I think that that distinction, as you mentioned, was great. And the fact that it's only you know a couple of paragraphs was was amazing, you know, especially when you're reading this, and especially I apologize for that, folks, but like listening to it and reading through Mogadishu and you're trying to understand how and or why the Ramanga are doing what they're doing within Mogadishu against the Asamites or or why they're fending off as well um, the Samba for even setting a foothold in Mogadishu, you get you get this payoff by reading this paragraph and now you start to understand it in a better fullness of what it is and how it is that they work within this environment. And I thought that was very cool. I don't know. It, it's kind of smelly to me. This cheese is kind of smelly of something we've talked about before. Uh, there's there's lines in here where they where they say some things that uh, that, that kind of trip me up, and that's uh, that Ramanga herself tied herself to the faceless mind, body and soul, right? And the faceless is what they're talking about, this entity inside the abyss. Um, and the way that that is, the way that, that that's phrased, and they keep talking about this uh, this servitude and devotion and faith kind of thing, almost sounds like the entity inside the abyss is slightly demonic or more than slightly well here's the other side of that here's the other shoe i'm gonna drop on you it's something i've preached about tenebration before that they hadn't written and they didn't do it for the sombra but they did do it for the the ramanga and that is you stare into the abyss something stares back what is it and i've referenced this right why do the sombra not have a shadow because clearly they have to give something of themselves to control that power it has to be and that reflection given is a point of sheer will it's well personified in the blood. And therefore, because they do that, they call in these darker powers. And, you know, abyss mysticism almost damn near reflects that. Uh, when, you, when you read that, go too far, this is where you're at. 
With Ramanga, when they talk about the faceless, I literally feel it's themselves. That worship they're giving, they're creating it. What is a god? A god is an idea from the personification of its following. The greater the following, the stronger that god is. That's how it is, because it's the ideal of it. And in a world of darkness, clearly, if this is true, you're looking at a group of people supremely believing and that there's something in the dark that made them what they are. And then that darkness has responded, i.e., the abyss is no joke. Whatever the abyss is, whatever it came from, and you could splice it easily, whether it's Zoroastrianism, where it was all darkness, then there was light, and there comes Ahura Mazda, the dark, dark of the world becomes something. And that's where all the evils reign and exist. But what, what existed there when it wasn't defined? And the answer is the abyss. We have the same thing in Christianity, right? Let there be light. Oh, well, all the dark things got banished, there was a separation. Well, now it makes sense that we have to poke a hole through the light world into that of darkness and see what comes out to play. But wouldn't it be a kicker if all that was in that world was a subconscious of humanity? Where do you go when you dream, Nick? Where do you go when all those nightmares exist and dwell? Where does all that power come from? And how does your culture explain it? What happens when you're the Ramanga and you, you were a good person and you're given this gift of blood and you come back from death and they tell you, fear not, child, you're as you were called to be. And your answer comes from within. Let me show you what the darkness gave you. And that's all you knew. And this gives you a profound way to roleplay a clan with a solid backing and footing of character development. That is not demonic. Right? You can easily see it as a personification of self or a mental head game if it helps you. Agreed. Agreed. I.e., I feel if you call it a demon, you're shortchanging it. You're shilling a coin. And you're missing a good opportunity. But that's me. But it is good insight. Um, to the uh, other effect in the, the last domain here, we have the domain of Mangaluru. And quite simply, we're going to talk about Mangaluru. It's Seed of Kings and whatnot. Really, it's high point and low point for me. Um, well, they're both good points. It deals with the Salubri, right? The domain, it's mostly for the Ravno that they have here, right? I feel it's, it's a place in India that you visit to establish a domain, and that's great. I think there's not enough that's given about it, and they definitely take care of that here. And I also know that the theme they want to do is that of resolve, right? It's the old ways passing into the new. Long nights ended, old alliances hold firm, you know, whatnot. Who sits as the power top? And that's what they're kind of going over here. And they throw a lot into this domain that I don't feel necessarily stands out other than insightful as to what would be uh, in this region of the world, which is what it's supposed to do. But to me, the hot points come right down to the apocrypha. What did we get from the main book about the Salubri that was such a shocker? That I was like, I raved about it. If you remember from the first book. The DA20. The 20th. It was the uh, the road under path of Samuel. Yeah, absolutely. I raved about it. And it's because, you know, it was dead. I thought we never were going to see it again. It was gone. I thought it was one of the coolest things they had. And I said, you know, it is missing something. Right? There were two great merits that went around with that. Like, where's it's the blooding of Samil, the training that goes in. Where's it at? Right here. It's right here updated in the Mangaluru section, right? Right in its apocrypha. Should it even talk about what it is to get coded or blooded by the code, how difficult it is? Those two merits come back. Uh, that's everything to me, right? The fact that they had the path in one point and did it here, you know, so be it. It's still good. It's still good. It shows you it's more than playable, it's doable, and they kind of renew one of the cooler, one of the cooler reasons to play uh, a Salubri anti-tribute was to have something that was definitely a different feel than just being the Salubri decide to whack stuff with a sword. 
just my take. On the domain itself, as I kind of poked my head in there, um, what did you guys think of Mangaluru as a whole? I thought Mangaluru was a nightmare. Um, and I mean that in, in, in an awesome way. I think we had this discussion once a long time ago, and especially for folks that were listening to uh, to the podcast a while ago, we, we were talking about what happens if you're a Ravno who could control a village, right? Um, and what that means, especially when you're not certain you understand exactly what's happening here. We understand that Mangaluru happens to be this, this port city as it currently is. You have a, a couple of key players in here. Definitely, this is one of the last bastions of the Salubri being here. Um, primarily being forefronted by Radio, who is a Salubri, who is a Christian who took a Hebrew name because he was trying to assimilate better, who also happens to be on the Road of Kings, which I thought was interesting because his version, especially being a healer, is to make sure he shepherds everyone. So how how much is it in your head to understand that, like, I'm here, everyone will be good, and the reason I'm doing this is because if I didn't do this myself, well then, we're going to go see the Devana along with the Nagaraja just mess everything up. Right, and there's that certain level of like megalomania that stays in there. Who are Devana? They're literally there to make sure that anyone who's coming into the Mangaluru is taken care of. They have thaumaturgy. You don't need any Tremere to be coming up in here. Um, <laughs> and the Nagaraja, of course, also being the necromancers that they are and natives to the area, are also part of your environment. This ecosystem. And who's on the bottom? The scariest people of all, which I think are the Ravno. Right, these people who just create illusions back and forth. What do you do when you're immortal and you have a thaumaturgy spilling left and right? You have a megalomaniacal salubri that's on one end, and the Ravnos who are just making your mind go back and forth. On on one level, I, I guess if if you're born low case, well then bless you for your ignorance. But if you're uh, a vampire, it's a nightmare to know that on all ends it's just a stalemate of power. What do you believe? What do you not believe? What is true? What is not true? Who really holds power versus who doesn't hold power? And if I do hold power then how do I play nice with these certain people? And I think uh, one of the coolest things about this was seeing the Ravno be in such a key position where they're absolutely welcomed and needed uh, for what it is that they could provide instead of just being complete outcast. I think this is probably one of the small nuggets you actually see me rave about the Ravnos being uh, pretty awesome here. What do you think, Nick? Um, I, I just want to start out by, by, by saying this about this section. Uh, the author who was tackling this section had uh, had quite a challenge, right? It's taking some of the least popular bloodlines and clans um, throughout the entire series and uh, and kind of wrapping them together into a into a campaign setting, and uh, and I don't think they did a bad job at all. Um, I think this is the first time I've seen any real solid setting put in place for anything uh, that was Indian by nature. And uh, and it was it's cool just to see how these different things interact. Um, it's great to see the Salubri have a bastion, uh, which they are a powerhouse, um, especially in the modern time when they're being hunted as heavily as they are. Um, but what I really liked was the updates they gave for the Devana in this, um, which they, there wasn't a lot of information really being passed around about this bloodline, and it uh, was kind of empty. In, in just kind of anything you'd seen about them. They're just, they're, there's nothing. They're like, these are, when I say these are not popular, I mean amongst the writers as well as the players because there's just not a lot of information put out about these, nowhere near as much as the rest of the clans and, and bloodlines that, uh, that you see in, in most books. So they did the updates uh, to uh, the Sedana. Um, that was a... Uh, I thought that was great. 
we, we've seen it before. Their their blood sorcery back in uh, oh man, I can't even remember what blood magic book it was uh, that you'd seen this, and it was mostly like a almost like an offshoot of a of a setite type thing, but in here it's written out and then redirected specifically for thaumaturgy in the dark ages 20th setting um giving you like direct comparisons and then on top of that they add some more stuff in there with blood nectar and, and other things that uh that tops it off as uh a bloodline that would actually pique your interest as being playable you know like oh well, there's some cool stuff in here i can see the flavor like i can smell the spice in this i can I can taste uh, concepts coming to me now. I agree with that. I think that uh, this section, what, they, what it does well in Pitting and Two is that it gives you the Nagaraja, right? In, in a non-Black Hand, yeah, not right? relevant sense. Yeah. So it makes them less crazy. But look at what the Nagaraja do and how they feed. Keep that in mind. And that's, that's something here. The Ravno, we know from my... I actually like the Ravno in their update, where it talks about the fact their origins were... They were kept on a mountain with a demon that held them in sway and played and toyed with them. And they had to rebel to get freedom. And not all of them got free. In fact, I think it was only like two of them that ever made it out. And then they repopulated whatever. Somewhere in that myth is truth. When you look at how this goes, India is very dark when portrayed through in this book, when you look at it. And I don't have a problem with it in this domain. Because one of the coolest entities in this book that they threw out here was the Pishacha. Oh, yeah. Okay. I wasn't the only one. So I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think the artwork that shows them is great. And they were terrifying. And uh, it's it's something that you can't you can't ignore. What, what were the Ravno doing? Surviving? They get away and they get to a place where these things are running around, pulling bodies, fresh corpses, and they don't care if it's vampire or not. Uh, and that's how they feed on flesh. They're canine s, but not really. And and they got a whole bunch of stuff to go into that of what goes on. And they plague stores, places where the dead are stacked, because that's that's a fridge to them. That's where they get their snacks. And that's how it goes. And when, with things like that running around, and you know what the Nagaraja are about, and you have an idea that the Salubri here, they don't say they're good. Right? I'm not reading anything that says these are the super do-getters. Gotta remember, Solid came over here and left something of himself. And then, like, you know, oh, I'm, I came back. Yeah. Well, since you know he made the Bali, what are the odds he came over here and was like, I right, leave you the saints. <laughs> right? We're just saying. Zao Lot was hated when he came over to the east and, you know, basically did what he did, allegedly talking to demons and worse, and then left. Here's echoes of it. And then aftermath, right? Now, are the Sloopy here that? Don't know. They don't really define that. They just say they kind of rule here. and But they end up needing help because the Tremere come looking for them. In an odd way, this is like in the in the in one of the darkest places, the only place where the Tremere seem good. Right? <laughs> We're coming here to deal with some stuff. And, and, like, DJ painted the picture of it all around. It seems to be a, like a World of Darkness prison you didn't know about. <laughs> and if you're here, it's about how to get out of here once you arrive. Because if you're an outsider, oof, that, that's got to be dark indeed. Yep. However, it seems very inviting, right? Very mystical. Without knowing the deep down, it's like uh, they show a picture of a boat and this great uh, merchant guy is standing out there on the dock and he's dressed to the nines, inviting people in almost. And you can see the business is going to get done. The city must look beautiful and definitely exotic, inviting you in. But as always, the deeper you go, stranger it gets, darker corner, things get bad. And does it have to be that the whole time? I don't know. I know in my campaign, better look out if that ticket lands you here. Because that's, <laughs> uh, that's a playground for me. It's, it's a good thing to it. 
to that end, um, I'm not taking back old hat. I just I, I didn't really think of it the way you two did it till you started saying. I really thought the Pishacha did it, but as I'm sitting here thinking about it, and I'm looking at my notes, I'm like, man, why would I just? Th- I actually do like the Nagaraja take out of here, and the Salubri was pretty good. So hearing that fresh perspective kind of kicked me in the brain, and made me rethink a little bit. Uh, this domain's more than than good take on it, and uh, that's it's, it's worth looking at, especially if you want an exotic place that's new that maybe none of your friends know about. Uh, in your home game, you want to shock or surprise them. There's plenty of material to pull on it from. There's nothing more exciting for your players than something they haven't seen, heard, or read before. And that's the great thing about these small tidbits in places that are not commonly used because it gives you so much room to breathe fresh into it, you know, and really set them back, um, you know, from their from their comfort zone and, and shock your players into a, a compelling campaign. But, and that's it, this brings us to the last domain, and uh, we're more or less off the hook here, folks, but I want to tell you what's in this book that's worth looking at. A lot of it's crunch. Um, we deliberately were avoiding doing the dry read of it, but here, everyone's asked a lot about what's a concise way to talk about building a domain, doesn't take a whole lot of time to go over, that gives me some solid facts that I need to go in. Uh, page 105, building a domain in chapter 7. It's going to walk you through, just like you're asking, to see it top to bottom, all in how they most likely built this. You know, each individual one, but they added their spice to it, you should do the same thing. And it'll help you do it. And I mean, everything's in here on what you need to do it, from the anatomy to peopling the domain, what it's going to take to put in there. Um, also, just because it's fun, it'll, and I'll mention it, they sneak in Shamir Apocrypha, the house militant. All it is is some rights about what that they use to actively battle the sorcerers that come for them, to, to help defend them against it. Well, not just them, a little bit of everybody. But Shamir ever, like, do you, if you ever wanted to know, like, just how dark did Shamir got in the beginning, how about inventing a wall that was taken right from Sioris that actually absorbs the blood of people who touch it? That, that try to come through and it stores the blood for you to drink so you don't have to leave. Like, that's pretty, <coughs> excuse me, that's pretty insidious. Let alone, how about another one that should take a weapon from a Shamir that's going to slice into you? It's not going to be as damaging, however it drains a crap ton of your blood. But they get to use as they continue going on. That's that's what we're talking about. This is this is cool stuff in here. As Nick said, this is madness. Who's just going to want a Tremere to go ahead and take this to Rome about? Well, the Tremere, of course, is going to want to take it. That's that's what it is. Then in Chapter 8, it rolls into Art of the Battlefield. Wait a second. In like three books, we had different updates. and ba- Yes, they updated again. And this one, arguably, I don't even think arguably, is the most seamless. It's the fastest it comes down to. All I could say, it's pretty much done in one roll. In terms of a mass combat. It's up, you roll, you're done, you move on. And that's what you want. Get it out the way. Stop pining over who did what and how much damage in 12 different die rolls. Just, boom, you're hurt, or you're not. And we move yeah. forward. And, and keep it that way to keep the action where it goes. And it's perfect for it. Get to know it. Love it. It's in here. If you want an armor, piece by piece, they actually did that. That's where they bog you down, right there, is the uh, the choose your own armor and choose your, like, here's a, another chart and a half of, of weapons. Uh, somebody must have told them they wanted that. I don't know who it is. Shame on you. Slap your hand. I felt there's a lot of it done. Uh, but it's okay. A lot of people like that sort of stuff. It's another incentive to get a book, and, and I think I think it's great for it. Um, it, it fits perfectly. And uh, Nick. Well, what it what it does do is you can take all the other charts and throw them out. So if, if you were to say, let's take 
three books worth of charts and condense it down into a few pages. You got that. Easy armor rules, easy weapon rules. Get out there, start role playing instead of, you know, hacking and slashing. I'm going to agree with that 100%. Um, with that, do you have any parting comments there, DJ? Yeah, this book is amazing for kit bash. We speak about kit bashing before, but this is the perfect example of doing so. Uh, if you were to take a look at this book, you could take a look at a domain. Like, even speaking about Mogadishu or, or uh, Mangaluru, use that as, as an inspirational background. You could remove those characters if you didn't need them, keep the background for inspiration itself, or bring in the characters and either put them in pairs because they're well written in terms of story seats. And I thought that was really cool. Some of the Apocrypha are weaker than others. Um, in passing, or, or maybe it just happens to be, you know, upon first glance. Um, there's some of them I, I definitely liked a little bit more than the rest, but I think overall this is a, a definite pickup. I uh, I didn't. Uh, I'll state it. I like the book. That means you should get it. That's 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 what I mean. <laughs> that's, that's just a beat right. <laughs> I would say it sucked if I thought it sucked. It does not suck. It is definitely something for everything DJ said. I do agree. Naturally, opinions vary. But overall, it's a great book. Nick's giving the head nod. I think that's all we're getting. And uh, yeah, yeah, um, definitely pick this up. I think it's uh, I think it's far more useful to a storyteller than it would be a casual player. Um, but if you're looking for off the wall concept ideas, uh, things like that, as a, as a player, if you're a player and you want to cheat a background, get this book. Just look at the domain. <laughs> how, how simple is that? That's, you got an area, you got where you started. It's done. It's a done deal. Pilfer it. Bullet point what you've been through. If the storyteller says to find it, he doesn't own a book, you're going to look amazing. And she's like, oh, yeah, don't forget. We had over here some evil stuff in this thing and blah, blah, blah. It's awesome. Approved. Freebies. Whatever happens in your game. It's, uh, it's doable. Just do it that way. Make it easy. But uh, without further ado, that does bring us to a close for the DA20 line. Um, if you're wondering about the novels... As I said, we did the anthology because there was a book released that gave you tidbits about how to be in portraying the clans after they gave Wet Your Whistle with that base book. The anthology did that. That's why we went over it. However, when it comes to the straight-up novels and the series of novels that go with it and whatnot, that's a different ball of wax. A lot of that gets into whether or not we agree with the author's view and the writing they have going on, and that's almost inviting a war that you don't want to get into, right? You know, Because like we could tell you the book we think, eh, not for us, but then 50 of you are like, ah, oh, you son of a, you know... Very, that's very more focused and opinionated because you can't stand on a general topic base to go from. Because author has every right to write off the rails at that point. It's a novel. So, you know, you just kind of read to see if you like it or not. Those books are available and out there. You can go into those. Will we ever talk about them? I will not say never. Just not now. Uh, the next lineup that we got going on is the Victorian Age. We're going to jump right into it. And we're going to start with the uh, Victorian Age Vampire Rulebook. That's the next one we're going to cover. Victorian Age is short. We got that, London by Night. Victorian Age Vampire Companion, and then we're going to get into the Kindred of the East. That's the that's the setting, because we're going to finish out that vampire line, because we partially did it. Let's wind that down and bring that home, so that completes the old, uh, I don't want to say old, the classic World of Darkness, in terms of vampire set. That's the plan so far. The only way that's going to change, and it's possible, I don't want to be the guy that overrides everybody. I kind of surprised him by saying it, that's my line of thinking. May change, and we may uh, push back Kindred of the East again to focus on Werewolf. That's definitely where my hat is, but I want to pay homage into what we said we were doing with the, with the Kindred of the East stuff. We may have to double up. We may have to start on Werewolf after Victorian Age, but then kick out some uh, Kindred of the East at the same time. 
and just kind of roll that forward. Expect that. It's doable. A little more work for us, but maybe best of both worlds. Look forward to see what that is. We'll let you know as time develops. So, that said, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, at our email, info at 25yearsvtm.com, on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25yearsvtm, or on our website, www.25yearsvtm.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade.